0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus 31. Exodus 31, we have come to the end of the marathon session, 40 days and 40 nights atop Mount Sinai. God spoke to Moses there in seven speeches, and this is the seventh of them. Exodus 31, 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, But the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to hear your word and to heed your word. Take away from us the complacency that says, Oh yes, I certainly do heed God's word. I already have this commandment down. And take away from us also the complacency that says, if it were that important, surely everyone would be doing it. Father, we pray that you would help us to listen to what you said and to do what you have told us. We thank you for the provision of rest above all that you rested and were refreshed. We ask that you would help us to rest and be refreshed likewise. Free us from distraction. Help me to speak accurately and powerfully with demonstration of your Spirit to feed the hearts of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God keeps bringing up the topic of the Sabbath in the book of Exodus Exodus, and in the Pentateuch more generally. As we'll see, well, we should talk about that as the introduction. The Sabbath has been mentioned in Exodus already in chapter 16, where God gives manna, and he says, Don't go out on the seventh day to gather manna. On the seventh day, uh, eat what you gathered on the sixth day. So, and of course, now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, and they found no manna. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people of Israel rested on the seventh day. Already in Exodus, God tells his people, You have rest. No longer are you slaves. You have to work seven days a week. Now that you are free, now that you are my people, rest on the seventh day. And then, of course, in Exodus 20, God brings it up again. It's the fourth commandment. Say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we spent two sermons looking at that command uh, some six months ago. And then the Lord brings it up a third time in Exodus 23 in the book of the covenant. He describes the Sabbath year Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your maidservant and the stranger may be refreshed. So this is the fourth mention of the Sabbath day. In the book of Exodus, God keeps bringing it up, probably because he thinks it's important, something that his people need to hear. The Sabbath day, we'll see, is not to be profaned, even for the great purpose of building the house of God. The Sabbath day is not to be profaned, even for the purpose of building the house of God. So, if you look at this mention of the Sabbath, it's paired with another one in chapter 35. We have at the end of thirty-one, chapter 31, this mention of the Sabbath, then 32 is the golden calf incident and its aftermath, that's 32, 33, and 34, and as soon as you get into chapter 35, the golden calf has been dealt with, Israel is forgiven, we're back on track to build the tabernacle. And it tells us, then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, these are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. And you would think he would say something like, you're forgiven, the calf is forgotten, let's build the tabernacle. But instead he says, work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations on the Sabbath day. So, this at the end of chapter 31 frames the golden calf incident with its counterpart in chapter 35, which is a direct quote from this one in chapter 31. Structurally, Moses is marking off the golden calf incident with two mentions of the same thing, two quotations of the same statement from God, don't do work on the Sabbath day. Now, what do we make from that? How do you interpret that structural feature that's very obvious in the book of Exodus? this paired mention of the Sabbath day immediately adjacent to the golden calf. The first thing I would say is that God's rest surrounds his people's sin. God says, even though you're sinners, even though you mess up, even though I know you're going to mess up and you did mess up, I'm still giving you a day to rest. There is no penalty where God revokes the Sabbath and says, all right, no more rest for you. The bigger picture is that not only does God give his people rest, God still wants to spend time with his people. That's what the Sabbath day is is about it's the Lord's day a day to be with God and the people sin and God doesn't say all right I don't really want to spend a day with you every week after that why don't you go find something else to do on the Sabbath no he reiterates it immediately to say I still want to be with you this is still my holy day that is for worship and for rest The time to rest ends the instructions for the tabernacle and it begins the account of building the tabernacle as well. God says, here's all this work, build me a tent, don't forget to rest. And then as they start work for the tabernacle, he reminds them, don't forget to rest as you're building the tabernacle. Even though God's people sinned as well, they cannot stop him coming to dwell among them. That's what the tabernacle is for. God is having them build a tent so he can live in a tent with them in their tent camp as they move around the wilderness. Exodus is the book of the knowledge of God. God shows who he is by the plagues on Egypt. He shows who he is in the Ten Commandments and the Revelation at Sinai. And above all, he shows who he is by moving in and dwelling with his people, which is what all of this material on the tabernacle from chapters 25 to 40 is about. Who is God? He's the one who dwells with his people. But as you found out, if you're working and your spouse is working, you can, quite honestly, not see each other, rarely see each other. In between work and sleep, you might only have a few hours a week together. What is God's solution to that problem? He doesn't just say, I will live in the camp, but they'll never see me because they're always doing other things. He says, I will live in the camp. And I will announce that every seventh day is a day for me. Israel spend every seventh day with me. Stop going to work. Stop going away and doing what you need to do and be here. God is living with them and so he tells his people to build a day for him into their daily schedule, their weekly schedule. And the golden calf can't And doesn't stop this. Our Father spends time with us. And He wants to spend time with us. He cares for us. And He wants to care for us. He lives with us. And He wants to live with us. What's the message of surrounding the golden calf incident with the passage on the Sabbath? It's that God has conquered sin. Because He wants to live with His people. In order to make the Sabbath happen, in order to be with his people, God forgives their sin. That's the biblical story. Jesus came, Jesus died, in order to bring us to God. Not because we so badly wanted to go to God, but because God wanted to bring us to himself. So this golden calf incident is framed with these mentions of the Sabbath because the Sabbath is is the day where creation comes to fruition. Genesis 1 and 2, it's the day where redemption comes to fruition. God worked for six days so he could rest and be refreshed on the seventh day. See his work and delight in it. God saved Israel so that on the Sabbath day, they could be with him. They could be freed from their labors and rest with God. That's the truth of the Sabbath. No matter how you sin this past week, the fact is, this holy day still rolls around. And God still wants to meet with you on it. God doesn't say, like my father always used to tease me, "All right, we're canceling your birthday this year. We're canceling Christmas this year. God never says, No, we're canceling the Sabbath this this week. You're too unholy for a holy day. It won't fit anymore. Instead, God makes His people holy so that we can fit in and enjoy His holy day. The Sabbath means not only that you get to pause from your work, as glorious as that is, it means that you get to be with God and that God wants you to be with Him. What's that famous sermon about Good Friday? It's Friday. Jesus is in the tomb, but Sunday's coming, the day of resurrection, and that is right here as well. It's Friday, it's Golden Calf Day, Israel is sinning, but the Sabbath day is coming, the holy day that God spends with his holy people. This frame around the Golden Calf incident, or rather the frame around the construction of the tabernacle, also reminds us that holy time precedes Holy space. Holy time precedes holy space. Eden is not called holy. God planted a garden eastward in Eden, it's a dwelling place for the man and the woman. But it not we're not told that Eden is holy. We are told, though, that God rested on the Sabbath day and made it holy. The first holy thing in the Bible is a period of time, a day. The Sabbath day, which does not mean seventh, incidentally, but means pause or rest. On pause day, God paused from his labors, and he made that day holy. I think part of what this is getting at is that you can choose to enter a geographical place. You can enter the sacred boundaries of the temple, or you can stay out. But you can't choose whether to enter a period of time. The period of time washes over you whether you like it or not. There is no pausing on Friday night for a seventh-day Sabbath, on Saturday night for a first-day Sabbath, and saying, nope, I opt out. I'm not going into that holy day. The holy day will come. Holiness comes to us from outside. God brings us into His holy time for a whole day each week and we get to experience a day that is set apart uniquely for him holy time precedes holy space keeping the sabbath precedes the construction of the tabernacle god is also challenging us then with his holy day anybody can look at the tabernacle with all the detailed instructions one could see it in the center of the camp with the smoking altar altar and if your Israelite tour guide says to you, the temple, is the, tem- the tabernacle is very important and should never be profaned. You would say, well, of course. Yeah, I, that's obvious. I mean, I look at the fence. Look at all the, the incredible expensive materials. Look at the personnel serving this thing. Yeah, oh, that very much. It's holy. Don't profane that. And your tour guide says, you don't want to know what's holier than the tabernacle? The Sabbath day. Holy time precedes holy space. The holiness of God's day is prior in time and prior in importance to the holiness of God's dwelling place. Right? It doesn't say he marked off Eden and said, this is my dwelling place. This is my temple. I live here. This place is holy. He marks off the seventh day and says, this is my day. This day is holy. So the final thing we can learn from the structure where this Sabbath notice and the other Sabbath notice are paired together, the final thing we can learn is this insistence that building the tent does not supersede sabbathing. As crucial as the tabernacle is, it is not more important than the Sabbath day. Keeping the seventh day, or keeping pause day, is more important than the work of building the tent. Now, how do we bring that into a New Testament context? What can we say in terms of building the church and keeping God's day holy? And that, in its purest form, this is clearly a reminder, above all, for pastors, people who run around who are in charge of. Well, this is their busy day. They preach the word. They teach the people. They have to make sure that everything is right at church and happening. God says to them, to us, to me, don't think that your work is the most important factor in building the church. Don't say, oh, I can't rest because I've got two sermons and a Sunday school lesson and a potluck and a this and a that and three people that I have to talk to after service and a hard conversation with so-and-so and and what am I going to do? God says, "No, this day is also your day to rest. This day is holy, and it shall be holy to you." The church is primarily built by us gathering on Sundays, and it is true that under shepherds have a role in building the church. Like Paul, the wise master builder, laid a foundation, taught the word, preached the gospel, and thus helped to build the kingdom of God. But the church is not built by offering people more to do. And that is the crucial point here. Don't build the church by offering people more to do. Jesus did not say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will add to your burdens. If you labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. I was arguing with a lawyer friend of mine a few months back, and he said, well, I don't think we need the institutional church. I said, well, somehow the Sabbath came up, and he said to me, oh, the Sabbath, I can't stand the Sabbath. That's how the institutional church gets you. Without that, they are nothing. And I was like, oh, that is genius. That is so true. Without a day on which people can gather and worship God, there is no church. Church goes away without time in which to do church. If we were all at our daily occupation right now, we wouldn't be here. right? The church is built on Sundays. And we don't want to lose that truth. But the truth of the building of the church on Sundays is not, not that we come here and get burdened. We gather together and Learn, alright, there's more to do. Oh, it's so weary. Wearisome to go to church and get all those burdens of everyone's expectations and of more laws and orders from God. Right? That's not what it is. So many people think of church as sort of a gathering of the animals under shift the ape with Puzzle coming out in Aslan's skin and giving these orders and burdening the people even further. And that is not what it's about. And that's Why God begins and ends this golden calf incident, ends and begins the construction of the tabernacle with the statement, You shall keep my holy days. Building the church is the work of the Son of God, the great temple builder. We talked about that last week. We are living stones being built by Him. And if you're doing it right, that process is rest. One of the biggest ways he gives rest is through the work of worship. Worship is restful, but worship is also work. How can we say both of those things? Well, worship is not restful in the same way that watching TV is restful. It's not a performance where you just sit here and turn off your brain. Worship is actively ascribing glory and honor to God. If you're doing that, it is restful. It's a break from your daily work, from your daily routine, from your tasks and your worldly business and occupations, and a coming into the presence of God and being reminded about His glory. Scientists have found that being outside does more for your mood than anything else. They have further determined that the reason... That is the case. is because when you're outdoors, you experience awe. Inside, we have the illusion of control. Human beings made this building. We can control everything inside this limited space. Go out into nature, and that illusion falls away. This is bigger than I am. This is more than I can control. Worship right, is supercharged bathing in nature. We don't have... Just a little bit of awe as you see the sunset. We have an overwhelming amount of awe as we see the glory of the risen Lord. And that is our rest. That's what we were made for. It's the most important thing we can do. So, in this mention of the Sabbath, we have as well to get into the text, and not just the structure of the text. The Sabbath is rooted. In two things, in creation and in redemption. So, it's rooted, first of all, in verse 13, in redemption. Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you and throughout your generations. A Sabbath is a sign between God and Israel. What is a sign? A sign is something that points beyond itself. That is, if you go out here on the street and you see a sign that says Speed Limit 30, that sign does not enforce the law, does not make the law. That sign is a sign or points beyond itself to City Hall and to the police department and to the municipal statutes of the city of Gillette and to the entire civic organization that makes and enforces the laws sign points beyond itself. The Sabbath day is such a thing. It is a sign. And what does it signify? God says that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And the Sabbath signifies that we are made holy from beyond the world. The Sabbath is a sign to cease from our labor and striving and say, God will do this. God will save me. God makes me holy. It's a sign that we don't save ourselves. A sign that we don't sanctify ourselves. A sign that we can stop running around like chickens with our heads cut off and rest, and God will take care of us. You don't make yourself holy. You can't change your own purpose. We have a hard time recognizing our limitations as made as created artifacts, right? The car cannot change its purpose. The car is made to drive down the road at high speed. That's what it's for. It was designed and built for that very purpose. And the car cannot decide, all right, I am better at being a home. I will sit on a lot for 45 years and have people live in me. The car can't make that decision. The car can't Say what its purpose is. Nor can the human person say, All right, here's my purpose. God decides your purpose, and He's the one, therefore, who is able to say, You are holy. Sabbath is a sign of that very thing. I don't become holy in the final analysis by anything I do. My actions, my thoughts, my words don't change my purpose. God changes my purpose. It is the Lord who sanctifies me. He's the one who changes my purpose so that I exist for Him and not for sin. Sabbath is a sign of that. What else is it a sign of? Well, verse 17, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day He rested And was refreshed. The Sabbath signifies that our life as God's people is to be like His life as our God. He worked six days and rested one in creating the world. He tells us to imitate that same pattern by working six days and resting one. The Sabbath is a sign of the creation of the world, that God did it this way and our weekly routine is conformed to His. God does it this way. I do it this way. Six on, one off. That's the pattern, as we said six months ago. That's the moral element in the command. What's important is not which day of the week is the holy day. What's important is that you work six, take one off. Work six, take one off. That doesn't mean that you're Day job has to have a six-on, one-off schedule, but it does mean that as much as possible your life, your daily chores, your round, whatever it is that is your ordinary occupation, and most of us have several in terms of work, school, and home, and the overlapping responsibilities within those three institutions, whatever your schedule is within those institutions, the seventh day is a day off. A day where you drop your normal work and say, I don't do yard work today, I don't do housework today, right? If home is your primary, or if work is your primary, I don't do work today. School is your primary, I don't do school today. Today is God's day. I drop those things because God did His work making the world and then He rested. I do my work six days. And then on the seventh day, I rest. That's the pattern. Mark tells us, or Jesus tells us in Mark, that God did not do this for himself. God didn't work six days and take one off because he needed it. The Sabbath was made for man. God worked six days and took one off for you. To say to you, this is the pattern for human life. This is how you flourish best. So the Sabbath is a sign that God is creator. Six days he made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he was refreshed when he rested. And that's then his promise to us. You will be refreshed when you rest. If you learn to rest in God on his holy day, you won't say, oh, I'm exhausted. I'm spiritually worn out. You might be physically tired still after worshiping God and spending the day with his people and doing the works of necessity and mercy that you ought to do. But spiritually, you are renewed because you have been with your Father. God made heaven and earth. God made you holy. The Sabbath points to both of those. So what does the Sabbath demand from us? Again, God keeps bringing it up because He really means it. He doesn't issue this command four times in a row in Exodus because it's not important. Similarly then, uh, with our reading in Matthew, Paul says some things, especially in Colossians 2, that make it sound like the Sabbath has gone away. Jesus says, you will be keeping the Sabbath, At the end, when this happens, when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, and of course there's different views on how to interpret the Olivet Discourse, but it's undeniable that whatever he's referring to, he clearly anticipates that his followers will be keeping the Sabbath day. He doesn't say, pray that your flight will not be on a Sabbath day, but oh, scratch that, you won't be keeping the Sabbath after 40 years from now. So, an equivocal passage from Paul put against an unequivocal passage from Jesus seems to me very clear how we ought to interpret the equivocal passage. We shouldn't say, God no longer expects this creational pattern. Rather, Jesus clearly still expects the creational pattern. So God really means it. The Sabbath demands this pattern. We exist by gathering people on a weekly basis for their entire life. That's what the church does. That's how we carry out the mission of making disciples and of baptizing the nations, teaching them to obey Christ. Without the Sabbath that doesn't happen. If you don't make time for God you won't have time for God. So the day is holy. That means it exists for God. It is God's day and its purpose is for Him, not for for you. This also solves all the detailed questions. Well, is it okay if I read this book? Is it okay if I go here? Is it okay if I watch this? If I say this? If I eat this? The answer is, look at the purpose. What is the day for? If that activity fits with the purpose of the day, then yes, it's a Sabbath activity. If it is for God, then do it. If it is part of your ordinary work, then don't do it unless it's a deed of necessity, something that absolutely has to be done. So the day off is holy. You can't keep one command by breaking another. That's what God is saying. Go build the tabernacle. But then he adds, but don't you dare build it on the Sabbath day. Don't think you're keeping the tabernacle command by breaking the Sabbath command. And in the same way, the fourth commandment actually contains both imperatives. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. The seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. It has both of those in it. Do your work. Do your rest. Both are commanded by God. The commandment does not open the door to laziness, nor, and it firmly closes the door, on workaholism. We don't work our way to heaven, but we also don't sit in a hammock with lemonade to get to heaven. We work and we rest. So what about all of this in verse 14, which is then repeated in chapter 35? Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work shall be cut off from his people. First of all, we have to understand that this is God's statement about the holiness of the day. Someone who touched the ark or profaned some other aspect of the tabernacle's holiness, would be struck dead by God himself. It happened to Uzzah in 2 Samuel. Someone who profaned God's holy time would similarly be put to death, but God is putting this, taking this responsibility away from his own personal domain and putting it into the realm of the civil authority in Israel, saying, whoever is in charge of the commonwealth of Israel shall put Sabbath breakers to death. Why? Why? does God give the civil authorities this rule? It's to help remind us of the holiness of the day. Considered as a sin against one's fellow man, Sabbath breaking seems pretty insignificant. My neighbors were watching a bad movie on Sunday. Ugh. But considered as a sin against the Almighty, this sin appears in its full horror as an attack on the majesty and holiness of the Lord. And that's why God told the civil authorities in Israel, put to death the one who breaks this commandment. In the same way, he says, expel, banish, cut off from Israel, whoever does any work on it. Those who take God's holy day and use it for their own purposes, do their own work on it, are denying the original creation and the new creation. They are denying the holiness of Israel Because the day is a sign that God sanctifies His people. Someone who rejects and ignores the holiness of the day is thereby rejecting and ignoring the holiness of Israel. That's why they're to be cut off from God's people. So these commands are for the civil magistrate in ancient Israel. They passed away with the state of that people. There is no civil magistrate from ancient Israel anymore. That would God put an end to that in A.D. seventy with the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem more generally. So we don't say in a rightly ordered commonwealth Sabbath breaking would be put to death, but at the same time there is plenty of empirical evidence to suggest that Sabbath keeping is good for the community. I have I haven't read it yet. I read a summary of it, but the National Bureau of Economic Research did a paper a few years ago on different states, adjacent states that repealed blue laws at different times, creating a natural experiment. What happens when blue laws are repealed? And they found that states that repeal blue laws see their suicide rates go up. Blue law, Sabbath law that says don't work on Sunday, keep certain businesses closed on Sundays, is good for the community. And without it, Loneliness increases, leading to more suicides. So when God says, whoever profanes this day will be put to death, we say, oh, that seems really harsh. But the evidence is actually clear that failing to keep the Sabbath day is harmful to your neighbor, not just in terms of his spiritual welfare, but even in terms of his physical welfare. You not only love God, but love your neighbor by respecting the holiness of this day. Well, the passage closes with a reminder that the tablets of the testimony were written with the finger of God, and thus ends Moses' time on Sinai. Certain things are not written in stone. Right? The worship service shall be at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. That's not written in stone. But this Sabbath command is written in stone. Keep it and you will know your Father better. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to keep your Sabbaths. We thank you for this day of rest, this day to pause, to stop doing our work, to signify to ourselves and to the world that you made us holy, and to signify to ourselves and to the world that you rested on the seventh day and that you were refreshed. Father, thank you for the work of creation and the work of redemption. Thank you for this holy day that is holy and shall be holy to us. Help us to keep it holy because we are holy brethren made so by your Holy Son, the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. We pray these things in his name, Father. Amen.